Beloved, we open our Bibles to Psalm 90 this evening. Again, you just sang that together. And we're looking at verse 12. We will look at uh, some of the context of this scripture tonight. So please keep it open. I don't plan to have you turn elsewhere with me, but we will look at a number of things, including the, the interesting title we commented on already of, uh, of Psalm 90. Verse 12 will be our text. And uh, I'm bringing you another devotion from the same book I did this morning, but it's the other author. There's a, a co-authoring of it. And uh, both of these articles, they weren't right next to each other, just really impacted me. I thought they were particularly good devotions. And I thought oh, I might share those with you in a devotion, an e-devotion. And as I've said, I'm using them for topical sermons today as I kind of catch my breath after being out of town and having the wedding and all. Um, so we're going back to that tonight. And simply because these two devotions I thought were were great to share with you, wanted to do that, and it's uh, helpful for me to do that with a topical sermon this evening. But they also really relate well, if you think about it. And, and again, this wasn't planned, it just happened to be. You'll notice in the morning, deny yourself daily. How will you daily live your life for Christ? And then this evening, number your days and live them wisely. So there's that sense of just considering our days and how we're going to use our days. Uh, dying to ourself Uh, and how we live them for the Lord this morning, but tonight thinking about the fact that pretty soon we will die. Any day now. So how are we going to use the days we have remaining? And uh, the Lord knows when that is. That's uh, the focus of our verse tonight. Psalm 90, verse 12. Look with me, please. It's Psalm 90, verse 12. So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. I give that to you again. So teach us, now this of course is a request to the Lord, teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. It was, it's striking to me sometimes when I'm doing a topical sermon and I think I'm returning to a text that I have preached before, maybe more than once, I like to look at my work partly to be efficient, but I also want to uh, benefit from the, the, the hard work I've done before just to see um, what I've done. And I've come to this psalm so many times with you over the years of ministry. And yet, I've never preached on it. This verse in particular, I just thought I had, because I've come to it so many times, but in fact, I've never preached on this with you. And so it's about time, <laughs> as we consider the time we have left. And this is the verse given for the devotion, uh, as the morning one was in the, in the book that I'm uh, drawing on, these, this devotional book, but from the other author, uh, the other author this evening. Again, the book is named Bearded Gospel Men, the epic quest for manliness and godliness. And tonight I share from a devotion by the other co-author, Jared Brock. And he shares this tremendous story that I'd like to pass on to you about C.T. Studd in the 1800s. C.T. Studd, uh, as a young man, he says, and I quote, was considered the Michael Jordan of cricket And he played at a time when cricket was the nation's most popular sport. Now, young people, I know some of my kids know who Michael Jordan was, but when I was growing up, you know, we had commercials. I like to, I want to be like Mike. I mean, he was huge. And not long ago on Netflix, they did a whole series about him. He he still is kind of a phenomenon of the national basketball world. And 
people still, I, I didn't realize this, but kids are still buying his sneakers today, and even shoes, the Air Jordan shoes. I didn't know this. I had no idea. He's still huge. And this fellow in the 1800s was the Michael Jordan of their day. Keep, try to keep that in mind. I think that's a, a helpful reference point in comparison to appreciate what he's going to share next with you. Let me read again. C.T. Studd was considered the Michael Jordan of cricket, and he played at a time when cricket was the nation's most popular sport. Now, if you don't know what cricket is, we're not talking about an insect. I say this particularly for the children's benefit, but in England, it's, it's a little bit like baseball. There's quite a bit of difference to it. But it was a huge sport like maybe football, uh, European soccer would be uh, today. He explains, Jared Brock explains, that Stud, C.T. Stud, was a Christian young in his life, but he didn't live the faith with much conviction until his older brother became deathly ill. And then he asked himself, What is all the fame and flattery worth when a man comes to face eternity? And then later after hearing D.L. Moody, one of our American preachers, in 1883, Stud decided to give up cricket. Now remember, that would be like Michael Jordan in his prime giving up basketball. I've often wondered on my favorite sports team in football, if the man became a Christian and convicted of of the Lord's Day, I don't watch on the Lord's Day, would he give it up? Would he give it up? And the criticism he would face if he did. Try to imagine. He decided to give up cricket when he's the Michael Jordan of cricket and it's the national sport. Everybody's crazy over. But he decided to give it up after being convicted by a sermon by D.L. Moody, 1883. And answering immense criticism. The country was not happy about this. He said, I knew that cricket, cricket, I knew that cricket, would not last. And honor would not last. And nothing in this world would last. But it was worthwhile living for the world to come. So what did he do with his life at that point? He joined in ministry on a boat to China with Hudson Taylor and six other missionaries from his school. They were known together as the Cambridge Seven. And the news, the national news, was very critical of this. He writes, The young men made headlines across Edwardian England for turning their backs on a life of privilege for a life of purpose. And this is the call of our verse this evening in Psalm 90, verse 12, which Brock offers for that day's devotional as he shares with us about C.T. Studd. And it teaches us this. Psalm 90, verse 12 teaches us this. I give this to you as the generally the main point of the text. We need the eternal God to remind us our time on earth is short and teach us To carefully use it wisely. I give that to you as the main idea of this verse in its context that we will look at tonight. We need the eternal God to remind us our time on earth is short. And teach us, therefore, to carefully use it wisely. Make the most of it. Like Stud did. And by the way, he he wasn't just famous for cricket. Like a lot of these folks, he was very wealthy. His father was very wealthy. 
Brock shares this. Stud's father died, and his will stipulated that Stud should receive his inheritance on his 25th birthday. Stud contemplated how to spend the money. As he read and prayed, he became convinced. If Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. Brock continues, on January 13th, 1887, before even knowing how much he'd inherit, Stud wrote a 5,000 pound check to D.L. Moody. Two checks totaling 5,000 pounds to George Mueller. And an additional 15,000 pounds to various organizations, including George Holland's Ragged School, General William Booth's Salvation Army, and Thomas Bernard, a fellow bearded gospel man whose orphanages cared for almost 60,000 children. He didn't even know what he was going to get, but that's what he did before he even found out. Now, beloved, that's living this text with time that's been entrusted to you. Of course, with the resources, when you have time to do something with it. Beloved, so may you number your days and live them wisely. Now, this sermon is not trying to tell you to go and get rid of all your money. and you know that, That's not the point. The point is to recognize how this man understood the shortness of his life and how he wished to maximize it, give of it, passionately, all of it, to the Lord Jesus Christ. Number your days and live them wisely. That's the message for you from this text this evening. Number your days and live them wisely. Because you don't get a lot of time on this earth. That's the first main thing that's being drawn out by this verse in its context with other verses we'll look at. You don't get a lot of time on this earth. After a wonderful winter rain in San Diego, probably the nicest I've enjoyed in over a decade here, San Diego was, was just gorgeously green this winter. I always say we don't have a white winter in San Diego, we have a green winter. But it was gorgeous. It was gorgeous. All the extra flowers, all the, just the lush greenery and everything just growing to new heights. It was beautiful. But we always learn to say, enjoy it while you can. It will be dry and brown before you know it. And so now here in summer, it is already back to brown. I hope you did stop and enjoy the beautiful flowers this spring while you could. And beloved, life is mainly like that, our verse is telling us. Life is mainly like that. You don't get a lot of time. Make the most of it. Make the best use of it. Because it goes fast. Teach us to number our days. That's the first thing we focus on. We're going to focus on two main things the verse teaches us. Teach us to number our days. Now, what is the referent for this? What is it referring to? Because it's so or thus. Teach us. So it's, de- it's referencing something else. Uh, basically, this is the application. Because of this reality, because of this truth, therefore, teach us to number our days. It's the first, the first part of, of the verse. 
Well, the reference is more broadly. We're going to look at it more specifically, but more broadly, it starts with verses 5 to 8. Why should we number our days? Why should we count our days, keep track of them, recognize they aren't going to be very many, and therefore take seriously the little time we get? Verse 5, thou carriest them away these days... Verse 4 says, you know, talks about as a thousand years, thousand years as a day, but they, he, God carries them away. Verse 5, as with a flood, they are as a sleep. In the morning, they are like grass, which groweth up. I think you could almost, before I continue, you could almost think about it. And my, my sister, as you know, had surgery this Monday. And as many of you know, um, we have surgery. Sometimes we have procedures. My, I had my first experience this year. When they put you under, you have no sense of the passing of time. She was under, I think, like five hours. Some of us have been under, but we wake up, it's like, what? <laughs> right? There's no sense of any passing time. That's kind of like what it's going to be. That's kind of really what it is, the reality of life. Verse 6, in the morning it flourisheth and groweth up. In the evening it is cut down and withereth. Verse 7, for we are consumed by thine anger, and by thy wrath are we troubled. It's expressing what's happening in our lives. Death is a result of sin. Thou hast set our iniquities before thee, our secret sins in the light of thine countenance. Look at verse 11. Who knoweth the power of thine anger? Even according to thy fear, so is thy wrath. These verses, this broader reference, teach us to number our days because of the frailty of life and its futility away from God. I saw an article uh, recently Young eight-year-old died. Some of us don't get 80 years, as the verse talks. Some of us get eight. Life is so frail. Rain, once it's past the rainy season, all that green is gone. Life is fast. Life is short. And the seasons are short. Same ideas communicated in a verse I trust you're familiar with. Isaiah, and I, I think I hear Mr. Maxwell pray this often. I had his voice in my head and in a good way when I was thinking of this verse. Isaiah 40, verse 7 The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, because the Spirit of the Lord bloweth upon it. Surely the people is grass. Well, think about how fast grass burns out or dries up. That's the metaphors. That's us. That's our lives. Psalm 90 verse 12 tonight has a more specific reference. That's the broader reference. The more specific reference, more directly related to the soul. Help us to number our days because life in general is fading and futile and fast. Um, but more particularly, the shortness of human life. Verses 9 and 10, the, the more direct reference. Verse 9, for all our days are passed away in thy wrath. We spend our years as a tale that is told. The days of our years are threescore years and ten. And if by reason of strength they be fourscore years, yet is their strength labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. Isn't that true? Even in this day of modern medicine, how many of us make it this far? Threescore years and ten. Uh, we'll do the math with this older English. 
Three score years, that's 60 plus 10, 70. And if some of us have a little extra strength to us, maybe we make it to four score. You hear uh, Abraham Lincoln reflecting the, the, the language of the King James of the scriptures. Four score, right? Starts his famous Gettysburg speech. Four score, score is 20. 80 years. Maybe some of us get 80 years. And yet, as long as that might seem, it's gone so fast. It's over so fast. Someone saw, I posted... Uh, a note on uh, social media about uh, Rachel's wedding and one of the ladies that knew her well used to babysit for us, an uh, older lady. Uh, she, she made a note, where have the years gone? She was just seven when we got here. Seems like yesterday, right? Most of our congregation is past the cutoff of this range of years already, right? On the first part. Most of us are over 70. And we're all inching closer toward the shutoff. 80. Maybe we push it to 90 in this day of modern medicine. Some 100, but that's if you get that far. And by the way, remember in the scriptures earlier in Genesis, they lived hundreds and hundreds of years. Who lived the longest? Methuselah, right? 969. But what do you see basically from Adam generally? As you remember when we were in Genesis years ago, about a decade ago now, hard to believe that, right? Um, you start to see they're living shorter and shorter. The effects of sin are taking them out sooner and sooner. The point we get to this psalm here, a psalm of Moses, right? Later on in the story of the scriptures, hey, 70 years, 80, it's about all we get. If we're quote unquote lucky, right? And then it's gone. And those years are fast. You know, you start to do the math. I turn 50 next year. And I know I'm still a grasshopper to most of you, you know. But still, I consider, will I be here when Juliana's 20? You know, will I be here for her wedding? Will I have the strength that I hope to have? I'm noticing changes in my body, you know. <laughs> um, I, I tend to groan more when I get up. <laughs> from anything, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and I'm just aware that I'm aging, and, you know, 50 years, I'm obviously well past halfway through my life, and who knows how long I have, right, and I think about the age I'll be, and this isn't to in any way dishonor you, but I'll be your age before I know it, <laughs> you know, and, uh, you know, we're all, I've, I've heard we all think we're 18 still, right, no matter how, we all look, we all, I still think I'm 18, you know, but the reality is, no, that's, long past, though it seems like yesterday. And that's what the psalm is drawing to our attention. He's going to take us to what we need to do about this, but that's the first point. This is our reality that we need to deal with. He's kind of saying, help me to deal with this, Lord. And by the way, I know I've shared with you often, when we would do evangelism and apologetics for seminary classes at a very big university where famous people and actors have gone to down the road from my seminary, and we would talk to students and we would ask them, one of the important questions to ask is, what do you think is going to happen to you when you die? And the standard answer was, I don't want to think about it. Oh, okay, well, when we're younger, we think we can pretend it's not going to happen. 
You know, I was recalling when I was driving through Western New York, one of the young ladies uh, in my church, to, or excuse me, not my church, in my senior year graduation, I think it was the year before their senior year, they went on a trip through uh, Arizona, the Grand Canyon, only one came back. And she came back on a crutch. Careful about adjusting your radio dial. That's what it was. Gone. One of them gone. Oh, what, 17 maybe? Some of you are 17 right now. It makes me think of another young man, very popular, very popular in my class. So I didn't know him very well. (laughs) Gone, I think, before we graduated, if not, not long after. I think it was a car accident again. We don't know. We don't know. You know, so you're thinking 70 or 80, wow, praise the Lord if we get there. And that is something for you to be thinking about and be encouraged by. Because whatever it is, it'll be over before you know it. Young people, don't think you won't be there before you know it. Don't think you won't be looking in the mirror saying, what happened to my hair? What happened to my teeth? Where's my skin? That's not my skin. My back's killing me. Which doctor do I visit today? Right? I mean, don't think that's not going to be your deal. Like, it'll feel like tomorrow it'll be coming so quick. But also, don't, don't think you might not even get there. Don't, don't think that's not possible. You know, there was a young lady in our church about six years ago who went to be with the Lord at 38 years old. That's supposed to be an old person's disease that took her. There are so many stories of young children. There's a reason you see all of these advertisements for support of things like St. Jude's Hospital, children's hospitals, because there are so many who are very likely not going to make it to double digits. Children, you should be just as concerned to count your days and what you're going to do with them because you don't know what you're going to get. And even if you get 70 or 80, it's going to be like this. That's just our reality. So, beloved, let Psalm 39, verse 4 be an anthem of your regular prayers during this life. Lord, make me to know mine end and the measure of my days, what it is, that I may know how frail I am. Oh, we're fearfully and wonderfully made, Psalm 139 says, right? Sometimes the way we find out how fearfully and wonderfully made we are is when something stops working right. It's, it's pretty incredible when you learn how it works when it's working right. One little thing stops working right. You learn how fearfully and wonderfully made are, but how little you have to do about making it work right again. Count on it that when you count your days, they won't be as many as you think, nor so many left. As you may think, carefully count the brevity of your life. Let it sober you. Let it focus you. And count the cost of serving Jesus with the days he has given you. They will be few, and they are few remaining. So ask God to help you redeem the little time you have until heaven. You don't get a lot of time on this earth. So ask God to help you redeem the little time you have until heaven. Visited my mom in Pennsylvania, as you know, early this week when I was in New York. 
And she brought me to this interesting graveyard uh, at the side of an old Dutch Reformed church, which is vacant now and broken down. And this graveyard had only recently been mowed. The grass was pretty much covering the stones. It was, it, you know, it's completely abandoned. And as you go through that graveyard, there are quite a few stones. You don't, there's nothing on them. The weather has so quickly worn away, you don't even know whose they were. Some of them are small enough, you're not even sure it's a gravestone until you look closely at it. That's fast. I'm telling you, those stones weren't put there that long ago. This is what we're being warned about. So what are we going to do with the time we have? That's the idea of the psalm. You don't get a lot of time on this earth, so ask God to help you redeem the little time you have until heaven. You know, when someone learns they have a terminal disease and gets some kind of an answer to how long do I have left, they begin putting things in order for their lives and those they will leave behind. And they prioritize their bucket list and enjoy what they can. And they don't let petty distractions detour them. Because they don't have a lot of time. Because time is short. We need to use it well. We need to apply our hearts to wisdom. Because we need to number our days because they're short. We need to do that so it makes us be wise about how we use the days. Wisely. Think about it in our heart. Deal with the reality of it and decide what I'm going to do with it before it's gone. You know, we can live recklessly and foolishly. We can just live slothfully and carelessly and waste the little time we have with this world when we think it will never end. Or we can live wisely and make the most of it for the maximum kingdom impact in this world for others before it ends. And that wisdom needs to be asking God to do these things to us. Uh, Teach us. The prayer is to God. Teach us. Help me. Give me your wisdom, Lord. Only he is eternal. And only he has that kind of creator perspective and eternal life to give us. You're the giver of life, you're the creator of life, you're the redeemer of life. You only give eternal life, so help me to learn from you about what I should do in this little tiny piece of time within your created time as you look at it outside in eternity. You give me perspective of how to live this, Lord. Look at verses 1 to 2. Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or even thou hast formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. The church talks about God being our dwelling places. Of course, he dwells within us. He's guiding us every generation, but we know every generation comes after a generation that's now gone. And we're only looking to, we're looking to God as the only source of making any sense of it and having any purpose of it. That there is an eternity to be had with God who is from everlasting to everlasting and therefore defines and determines what makes sense of how you use the little time you have before the end of it. Looking into eternity. He alone is everlasting to everlasting. Look at verse 4. For a thousand years in thy sight are but as yesterday when it is past and as a watch in the night. So we think of Isaiah 40, verse 8. 
The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Notice the title here. A prayer of Moses, the man of God. This psalm is written by Moses. It's the only psalm we have that we know that is written by Moses. Moses, I think he has a little bit of things to share with us. He has a little bit of wisdom and experience, doesn't he? And it says he's the man of God. That is, he's a prophet. The Psalms are the word of God. We sing them to our benefit. We get their wisdom. He's a prophet. And surely you can consider as he looked back on his days through the book of Numbers while watching the next generation go on ahead into the promised land without him. These words would resonate deeply in his heart. But also at the Mount of Transfiguration, later in the New Testament, we see him with Christ and Elijah. And he's in heaven, and certainly he was glad to be communing with Christ, enjoying the first fruits of an eternal day on the horizon with a resurrected body. Wise to trust in Christ and not of this world. Remember what Hebrews says about it. Hebrews eleven twenty four to 27. It says more about Moses, but this part we focus on tonight. By faith... Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. For he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Be taught by the experience of Moses, the example of Moses, and these words here of Moses. Sing this psalm. Sing the psalms. They are didactic. That means they are meant to teach us. It's not just to express warm, fuzzy feelings. They are to teach us, indoctrinate us with the truths that God wants us to know about him and life and where we're going and how we're to live. And meditate, of course, and live on the Proverbs, which are written especially to live life well by living it wisely, best morally, as God says so. Psalm 36 verse 9 should be our prayer. For with thee is the fountain of life. In thy light shall we see light. Don't try to make sense out of your short life without God explaining it to you. You do that, you're going to waste the little time you have because you won't have a clue how to live it. You're going to waste it and ruin it. May your prayer be to Jesus, the light of the world. Psalm 119, verse 18. Open thou mine eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. Recognize your need to go to eternal God, from everlasting to everlasting. Eternal God to explain your little window of time within this little piece of created thing called time. As he's guiding you to be redeemed to him, to have eternity with him if you use your time well here and give your life to him respond to him and see then that ye walk circumspectly 
That word number our days, count our days, count circumspectly, carefully. See then that we walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. Ephesians 5, 15 to 16. Well, the world's song is, it's a wonderful world. But the Bible's song is, the days are evil. Number your days, they're over soon. Be looking to eternity and God, the everlasting, to the everlasting. Colossians 4, verse 5. Walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time. John 12, verse 35. Then Jesus said unto them, Yet a little while is the light with you. Walk while ye have the light. Lest darkness come upon you. For he that walketh in darkness knoweth not whither he goeth. And learn to pray that God would hear and grant the request to you as you Pray and sing this verse that he would grant the request of verses 14 to 17, where Moses takes us further. Oh, satisfy us early with thy mercy, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad according to the days wherein thou hast afflicted us, and the years wherein we have seen evil. Even verse 15, uh, you know, first he says, verse 14, let us come to your mercy early in life and enjoy all the benefits of that throughout life. And then verse 15, let us understand and make good use of affliction, as Thomas Watson said to us recently. Make good use of it. As Psalm 119 says several times closed together, it's good that I was afflicted. It brought me to your word. It's good that I was afflicted. It brought me to you. I was wasting my ways. I was wasting my days without you. So make us glad according to the days wherein thou hast afflicted us and the years wherein we have seen evil. Make us glad. Gives us a holy eternal perspective about it all. Verse 16, let thy work appear unto thy servants and thy glory unto their children. And verse 17, he closes, and let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us and establish thou the work of our hands upon us. Yea, the work of our hands establish thou it. Have us ready for eternity and bless our work to have an eternal meaning in the meantime. Let us rejoice in you and praise you and serve you, Lord. That's a life worth living because we're all going to die fast one way or the other. Let it be about eternal significance for you through Jesus, because of Jesus, by Jesus. Because the eternal God holds all our fading days in his hand, we must ask him to establish the work of our hands while they can yet be put to work. And we would offer them up open and ready to bless others with the best use of them as much as we can while we still can. Brock, our author of this devotional today, shares more of the story about C.T. Studd. Stud, excuse me, C.T. Stud. He writes this, Stud ended up receiving an even larger inheritance than he expected. The equivalent of tens of millions of dollars today. So, 
He gave away several thousand pounds more and then gave the remaining 3,400 pounds as a wedding present to his new bride, a young Irish missionary, Priscilla Livingston Stewart. I looked it up. I don't think it's related to David Livingston. I, I presume that's not the case. Priscilla Livingston Stewart. And what did she think about this large gift of money to her for a wedding gift? He says she was not impressed. Charlie, what did the Lord tell the rich young man to do, she asked. Sell all, he replied. Well then, she said, we will start clear with the Lord at our wedding. They gave it all away. This, of course, meant that they had no money, Brock continues. But time and time again, God came through. On one occasion, Stud remarked, Funds are low again. Perhaps you would be tempted to say, What did I do giving it all away? Funds are low again. But listen to what he says. Funds are low again. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. That means God trusts us and is willing to leave his reputation in our hands. Brock goes on to note that Stud refused to retire. How could I spend the best years of my life in living for the honors of this world when thousands of souls are perishing every day? I will blaze the trail. Though my grave may only become a stepping stone that younger men may follow. Brock shares that after more than a decade in China in missions and 21 years in Africa and other things in between, I didn't want to write it all down. At his death on July 16, 1931, Stud's last word was, Hallelujah. Of course, that was a good way to live his few years because that's good practice for living eternity. That's what we'll be doing. Hallelujah around the throne of God. Why not start now and make the best of it? Brock closes. His life will be an eternal rebuke to easygoing Christianity. He quotes Stud. One last time who says, who said, we will have a masculine holiness, one of daring faith and works for Jesus Christ. I have counted my days and I have counted the cost and I have counted the cost of what a waste it will be so quickly and beyond me. Establish the work of my hands, Lord. As long as I can keep them to the plow. Now that is the life he lived while he had time to do so. May he be your encouragement to number your days and live them wisely. Again, that's the message for you this evening. And I'm not trying to tell you that you have to go clear out your bank account. But I do challenge you to a masculine Christianity.
I do challenge you to a brave and bold Christianity that is willing to take risks. Number your days and live them wisely. Make the most of the time that remains for you. Psalm 90 verse 12. So, teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Beloved, number your days and live them wisely. Let us ask the Lord to make this so for us. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we recognize that our years are few. Our lives will not be long because of sin and a world stained by sin, corrupted and dying all around us with all of us dying within it, buried within it, whether it is the sea or the land. Lord, we pray you'd lift our eyes to the hills and to the air from whence our help comes from you, Lord God, giving us life from you who are life, who are from everlasting to everlasting. Thou alone art God. You alone can give us wisdom of how to live these tiny little lives that will pass like grass in the wind before we might even complete this sentence. As we look over the photos of our lives, as we look through things in the years of our life, I just looked at a photo in my box of sound equipment and sent it to my wife, and she was so surprised how I looked. I'm so different. It feels like yesterday. Lord, we acknowledge that our lives are short. Help us not to waste them in idleness and sloth, in laziness or wrath, in worldliness and the lusts of Egypt and riches there. Let us forsake it all to live the few days we have, the few years and decades we might have for your glory and to enjoy you and to prepare for heaven and that you would use our lives to draw your elect and others out of this world into the citizenship of the kingdom of heaven. Lord, we are here tonight because you have made us that. And we pray that you would keep our hand to the plow and establish the work of our hands. Whatever season of life we are, however much we have to adjust because of it, let us not think we're done until we're done. Give us a witness wherever we are. I pray for Eleanor, where you have her at the senior home. Give her a witness to these other ladies in their 80s and 90s and others. Give her a witness, Lord. Pray you may somehow give her witness with some kind of Bible study, perhaps allowing us to come and be part of that to help her. Lord, Lord, it's not too late for your elect if they are here. Give us a witness. Use us. Use us now, O oh Lord. Help us not to waste the time you've gifted to us. Thank you for helping us to use this Lord's Day in rest and worship, anticipating eternal life, waiting for us. Whether you bring us home soon or return on the last great day at the resurrection. Thank you for giving our lives purpose, as short as they are.
in perspective of eternity in you, the eternal God, because of your everlasting love and the blood of the everlasting covenant. We pray in Jesus' name and all your people said, Amen.